apologize. When this baby hits 88 miles per hour, you're gonna see some serious shit. I have a plan. You've got a plan. I have part of a plan. It's your weekly dose of all things geeky. Class is paying 101. The instructor's Casey Jones. Movies, comic books, movies based on comic books. Excelsior! Video games, toys, TV shows. Professional wrestling. It's still real to me, damn it! <laughs> All the things you got made fun of for in high school. Come on, you fuckers think that just because a guy reads comics he can't start some shit? So grab your action figures, bag and board your comics, and roll for initiative. It's time to talk nerdy to me. Hello there. It's your favorite host in all of podcasting, Obi-John Kenobi, with a brand new episode. It's so fresh. It just came out of the package of Tot Nerdy 2, Electric Boogaloo. And before we get started, let me introduce my trusty stalwart band of characters that are joining me today. First, (laughs) to my right, joining us from uh, somewhere in time and space, the Doc. Hello. Good to be back. You need to go back to doing random, like, 90s and 80s catchphrases. Yabba-dabba-doo! That'll work. We'll take it. (laughs) 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 And uh, to my left, the man who keeps the nerd and talk nerdy to me, joining us from the bowels of the NCC-1701, it's Commander Scott. Greetings. And just so you know, so you're not panicking or anything, Annual radiation dose on Earth, on average, is 0.4 rems. Now, low-Earth orbit, it it jumps up to 2.4 rems. And then, you know, once you're in the inner transfer uh, on your way to Mars, it jumps up to a a startling 66 rems. But other than that, here you're fine. And now you know, kids. I don't know what he's talking about, but now you know at home. Just FYI. Uh, we are our powers combined top 32 electric boogaloo and we've got a stat show today so we're going to get right to it in fact the first thing i'm going to pull out isn't even on the rundown because it just freaking happened like three hours ago uh we talked a couple weeks ago about dark alternate timelines and and uh, which ones we wanted to live through i think but um we now have definitive irrefutable proof that we are currently living in the darkest timeline because holy shit, it fucking happened uh, after two years of lobbying and hashtags and renting out billboards at conventions. Guys, this is not a joke. Check your calendar. It's not April 1st. The Snyder cut is happening. Oh, it's getting a release. It's really, really real. Super serial, guys. I don't even know what to say. I never thought this would happen. Uh, at least not now. I thought maybe in 20 years, like the uh, the Donner cut of Superman 2, we might see it happen. But uh, no, next year on HBO Max, the new streaming service, which launches, I think, next week, uh, we'll be getting the Zack Snyder cut of Justice League. What do you guys think? 
I just have one question. Is this with or without mustache? I'm glad you brought that up. <clears throat> well, I, I mean, since the mustache was because of reshoots, right? I would assume it's going to be Sam's yeah, so, mustache. So the mustache thing came about when, um, after Snyder left the project, when they when Joss Whedon got upgraded from writer to full-out director of the project, that's when the mustache reshoots happened. So I don't think any of the mustache CGI footage would be in the Snyder cut. I don't think. I could be wrong, but I'm pretty sure none of that would be in his cut. So there will be no creepy, weird CGI upper lip. Uh. This would be... So, doing some reading. Um, it looks like Warner Brothers is going to be shelling out somewhere between 20 and $30 million to have this finished because, and one of the reasons I always said the Snyder Cut will never happen, is because the Snyder Cut is unfinished. Uh, it's not like this was a completely done wrapped in the can movie with music and visual effects and everything just done. And the studio just decided we don't want to use that version. Like it's, it's an unfinished movie. There's visual effects and CGI that isn't done. Uh, the the entire score that was being worked on, they changed composers, I think three times, um, before they wound up with, with, um, Danny Elfman doing the score for the movie. Uh, so it's, it's, it, they have to re edit the whole thing. They've got to finish visual effects. They have to add music to it. Uh, apparently, Zach Snyder has already contacted all the primary cast uh, to, to inquire as to their availability to come back and do more dialogue for some looping. Yeah, uh, <laughs> for some ADR. So, like, they're really shelling out the money to actually have this thing finished. And that's what I always said, you know, I always said that that's why you're never going to see it is because Warner Brothers lost money on this movie. Uh, its break-even was reportedly somewhere around $750 million, and the movie only grows, I think, like 600 and something million. Uh, so th- the studio lost money on it, and that it didn't make sense for them to plug another 20 to $30 million. Well to finish another version of the movie. Um, but now they've got a streaming service that they've got to get people to subscribe to. So holy shit, it's really happening. Well, I mean, you know, CBS needed to get people back. So they went to something that fans have been clamoring for. So why not Warner brothers? Or in that, yeah, yeah. In that regard, it makes sense. Uh, you, something good. I was just going to say, do you think that, Maybe they're greenlighting it now because of the success they've had with their other um, movies in that in the DC universe. Well, yes and no. So here's this movie is going to be in a weird kind of category unto itself because well, first of all, it made it actually be a full out movie. Right. Uh, it's undecided at this point if it'll, it'll it will either be one four hour plus movie. A movie in two parts, which was the original plan when they started shooting. Justice League was going to be two movies back to back, or like a six-part, basically uh, uh, series on HBO uh, Max. Uh, so we don't know what form it's going to take, but whatever form it does take, it won't be canon to whatever's left of the DC extended universe. It'll be an alternate version of that reality. That being said, though, Jason, um, they the the articles I was reading, you know, did say, you know, Whedon was the guy that cast Gal Gadot as Wonder Woman. He cast Jason Momoa as Aquaman, and those movies went on to make 
you know, Aquaman still stands as the highest grossing DC movie ever at one point something billion dollars. And, and uh, Wonder Woman 84 is going to be in theaters sometime this year, I hope, fingers crossed. Uh, so, like, the things Zack Snyder put in place have now become very popular, even though at the time of the, the whole Justice League Snyder Cut stuff, uh, people were very tired of the Zack Snyder grimdark interpretation of the characters. So that definitely that may stand a reason that now that we've kind of come around and, and there's a lot more love for not necessarily Batman v Superman, but like the world that Snyder kind of kicked off, uh, you know, Birds of Prey is getting a lot of play right now on uh, on demand. That definitely can't hurt. Uh, right. you're, you're bringing it back. But I, I as far as like would this help relaunch? Like, they're not going to bring Ben Affleck back as Batman. Um, I don't know what this does for the Cyborg movie or the Flash movie, which I still put in the camp of never going to fucking happen. Uh, I don't know, because Warner Brothers DC movies are in this weird spot right now where the the people in charge aren't necessarily worried about building an interconnected universe. They're just focusing on one movie at a time and letting that movie be the best movie it can be. And that's working out so far. Uh, right. So I don't know. I don't know how much uh, um, studio interest there is in, in trying to re like salvage whatever's left of the DCEU. I don't know. I don't know. It's weird. I, like I, it's, my mind can't process this. This movie should not exist. It should be uh, one of those books you read, you know, 15, 20 years from now where, like, they interview all the people involved and you get the full story. Like, it shouldn't be a thing coming out next year. You know, one thing you said, though, that is just sticking with me that I think that's probably what they're going to do is they have this streaming service. And I mm-hmm. would not be surprised at all if they broke it into a six-part miniseries to get people into it. Kind of like what Disney Plus did with The Mandalorian where you have to wait for the release of the next episode. So that would, all the fans that want the Snyder cut, you're going to watch part one, but you have to stick around for part two. Part yeah, two. Wait, wait next week for the next part. Yeah. Well, uh, you go ahead. Well, but see, that, that's what I'm curious about is I, I don't know. Yeah. There's going to be a shit ton of people who are going to sign up for this because they want to see it. I mean, it's, it's been you know yelled for and clamored over and everything for so long. So they're going to get an influx of people. But even if they did a six-episode series, <clears throat> you know, if you release uh, everything once a week, the lion's share of it is going to be done in the free 30-day trial, which you know is going to happen because everybody puts out a free 30-day trial. Um, you'll get, uh, what, a couple of episodes that will happen after that trial unless people just wait two or three weeks until the first three episodes are streaming then they're going to do the free 30 day or 30 day trial is it enough to hold people to you know the streaming sir is there anything else that's been announced for this because I, I mean i hadn't heard anything so that, uh that, that doesn't mean you, much I don't hear you much. raise a good point commander scott and i can say the same exact thing about the mandalorian yeah like, but is, is now it's done you can jump on and get your free trial for disney plus and watch it and binge it all in a day and be done with it yeah, but this but, is also you know, disney that we're talking about here it, it, it's a little different Sure, if you say so. I do. Uh, I mean, they get they get they get, they get Star Wars, they get Marvel, they get Pixar. Yeah, they but got, none of it's new content. It's all 
the point I'm trying to make is is Mandalorian was and kind of really still is the only new content worth getting the ser- the, the the subscription service for. Yeah, there's a great back catalog of cartoons and movies and stuff like that, but I already own most of that shit on my shelf right now. Like, yeah. I didn't get Disney Plus so I could get the Skywalker saga. I already own all that. <laughs> yeah, but, uh, it's, but it's, also, it's, also they, they, they announced a number of projects. They announced mm-hmm. none of them are on there yet. I know that. I'm not since saying it's launch. Perfect, I, that, but, but has anything? But has anything else for this one been announced? Is this the only thing they've said they they're putting out, or, or they say, "Hey, we also have this coming and this coming and this coming." So it's it's a partnership with Warner Brothers. So I'm assuming anything in the Warner Brothers catalog is fair game for this service, and yeah. anything on the HBO catalog uh, yeah. is would be on this. Now, again, I don't know because I'll be honest, Scott. I don't give a shit about this service because I already have like four, three more services than I need right now. Um, but yeah, I will be the guy that joins to watch just this thing. Um, it, it, the, the, a series like that is more to get people hooked in and get you signed up and get you on that free trial. And then we can worry about, is there enough content for you to stick around after your trial? It's about getting people to make that jump to sign up now. Cause then they can announce, Hey, in our first six weeks, we've got, whatever 200,000 new subscribers like that's all they care about getting you over that hump of subscribing now uh and then make it people will stick around just because they don't want to deal with the, the hassle of canceling the service like that's how these companies work so it is a try you're right, business you're right. model yeah if, if this is the only thing you're watching for you may jump on a couple weeks after it starts binge the whole thing and then cancel it when your subscription is done that's totally a possibility, but that's the same possibility with any streaming service. I would, uh, I'd get it for Game of Thrones. <laughs> I, yeah, I mean, look, there's, there's Warner Brothers and HBO again together. I would, I would argue, have enough of a back catalog to probably, depending on what the price point is, because again, I have no idea. But I didn't, I don't know anything about the streaming service. Yeah. Uh, I would think that would keep people around and keep them interested. There's, there's plenty of stuff to go explore and check out there, but. Well, that brings up another question, you know, since this is going to have, we think access to their catalog. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and this is a DCEU ish movie. <laughs> adjacent. Yeah. yeah DCEU adjacent, <laughs> you know, content. What is, what does that do with uh, uh, everything that's, you know, available on the, the DC streaming service and people who already have a subscription to that. I believe, and I could be totally wrong, but I believe when they announced this service that uh, it was a DC direct uh, will be folded into this. Well, that's good. Cause if I, I had, a, if, if, if I had a subscription to the DC streaming service and then they announced that, Hey, we're coming out with a Snyder cut. Oh good. I get to, wait, it's not going to be what, huh? No, it's, but it's going to be on a different. No, I want it on the one I already have. A, no, I, I imagine it would work roughly the same way that the when Disney Plus launched, you could bundle your Disney Plus and your Hulu if you already had a Hulu account. So I assume it would work much the same way if you already have a DC Direct account, you can just merge that <coughs> with the uh, whatever HBO Plus or whatever this is called um, yeah. for whatever the the adjusted cost is. Again, I don't know. I'm pulling this all out of my ass because I didn't do my research. Mostly, I just wanted to say, holy shit, the Snyder Cut is real. All right. Yeah. That um, did piss me off on Disney Plus too, because they wouldn't bun- <laughs> they wouldn't bundle it if you had Hulu Live. Okay, bastards, bastards. 
If you have the cheap Hulu, we'll give you a discount. If you're paying for the expensive Hulu, oh, fuck you. <laughs> That's what you get for paying more. But we wanted to watch the Cubs. You know, back when there was baseball. <laughs> and the back before in time. the olden times. Uh, back in the, the before, before time. The before back, time. Back in the before days. <laughs> All right, well, that's a perfect segue. Uh, a perfect Paul Blart Mall Cop-like segue into our next topic. Um, so now that we are in the after times, the not before times anymore, uh, there used to be this thing in the before time called comic book conventions where nerds like us could get together and dress in costumes and spend way too much money on stuff we don't need uh, and meet celebrities and get comic books and stuff signed, and it was great. It was like a, a mecca of nerdiness crammed into like two and a half days. Remember that, guys? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, those are all done. Those are all canceled. Uh, twenty twenty gonna go down as the year with no conventions. Uh, uh, I never thought I'd one. say this. You're right. You're right. I never thought in a million years that I would say that Vet City Con was the best con I went to all year. <laughs> God, where's the bourbon? Uh, but yeah, my left so, hand. <laughs> that being said, our, our, I guess, second topic, because I threw one in at the top of the show, um, what to do now that your con is canceled. Here's some things, some activities and whatnot we can suggest for you to help kind of fill that void until cons come around next year. Hopefully, fingers crossed. Well, uh, anybody wants to, I got, I got well, a couple, but well, I've got some. All right, um, lay them on us. All right, go ahead. Uh, I'm going to kick it off with do a cosplay photo shoot. Ooh. Uh, get, out, get out your cosplays that you enjoy. Uh, pose around places with it. Uh, have somebody you're, I guess, social distancing with. Like if you have somebody living with you in your house, co- coerce them into taking these pictures for you. Um, or, you know, set up some sort of timer. Uh, I never take like timer photos on my phone, but I'm sure it's a thing that you can do. Um, or if you're like Commander Scott and have some really nice photo equipment, uh, get it set up. Take some pictures of you and your favorite cosplays doing cosplay stuff. Now let's not oversell it. I I just have a DSLR camera. It's not like I have like equipment. It's super fancy, and oh my god, he's a, and I'm not, I'm not even joking, he's a great photographer, really is. Uh, yeah. Any picture of me in cosplay that looks good or fairly even decent, Scott probably took it. Any picture of me that looks fucking terrible, it's like, who framed this shot? Why do I have 18 chins? It was <laughs> someone other than Scott who took that picture. Uh, well, Scott now... Cox is the official cosplay photographer of Tot Nerdy TV. Well, now we did have that one snafu, you know, whenever we went to see Joe Bob. You know, with the, the whole chin thing, because you were looking down and not up, and I didn't catch it. See, I don't even remember that happening, so I'm not even going to hold it against you. <clears throat> to be fair, the, the picture of me and Joe Bob from the, the, the Redneck show, no one's looking at me or Joe Bob. This is true. D- Darcy is in that picture, along with she her is? her assets. Uh, yes, but no. I, I think when I look at the picture, I, I don't make it past her breasts, so I don't know if she's actually there or not. <laughs> okay, I moving like, on. I like, I like the movies, what can I say? No one's blaming you. Um What were we talking about? I got distracted by Darcy. Uh, oh yeah, okay. <laughs> what to do now that concert cancel? Good first pick. 
uh doc i enjoy that in fact scott uh i need to schedule some photo shoots hey i would love to do that again i enjoyed the one we did uh last october i have costumes just piling up you know Uh, in fact i'm finishing up a, a third fourth one uh this week so yeah what do you have for us Come here, well, Scott. I, don't, I don't know about uh uh other other things that are going on um but something that i was looking into because it's been popping up in my feed here recently and it's intriguing mm-hmm. the hell out of me to see if this is gonna work or what's going on there are several conventions or at least a couple that i know of that are attempting to do virtual conventions Yes. The, mo- the most notable of this is Origins. Origins is one of the two largest gaming conventions that is held in, in the United States every year. Uh, this one's uh, the smaller of the two, the big one being Gen Con uh, in Indianapolis every every summer. And, and that one actually just canceled. That's this a big past one. Week. Yeah. Yeah. That's uh, uh, over 30 plus thousand people, you know. Um, but uh, Origins a bit smaller, but it's in Columbus, Ohio, and of course they canceled a while back, and uh, they've been announcing and, and everything um, that they are doing a virtual con, and I'm really curious to see how this works. Badge registration for Origins Online, as they're calling it, went went up today, uh, and so I pulled up the FAQ, you know, that they had for it. It's mm-hmm. going to be held July 19th, Friday through Saturday, June. 21st, and that's June 19th, not July, because I can't read. Um, badge registration open today, and it said, what will it cost? For them, they're, they're doing a, um, they're doing a pay-what-you-want uh, format. So you got to pay something. Uh-huh. What you pay is up to you. That's interesting. Uh, so, yeah. And I'm like, okay, I can kind of get behind that, you know? I mean, you know, so event registration will go up June 5th. I don't know what kind of events they're doing, but uh, second question is what platform will you be using for games and such? And so apparently GMs, that's Game Masters, and event organizers are going to be able to choose whatever platform they are most comfortable with to run their games. So they'll be using Roll20, Zoom, Tabletopia, Tabletop Simulator, Fantasy Grounds, etc. So there'll be a variety of things. But it's going to be completely virtual. And they've said uh, in some of their stuff, but not on this one, is uh, they are going to have guests. I assume they'll be doing panels via Zoom. Um, And uh, they are going to have a virtual vendor hall. Once again, I don't huh. know how that's going to work, but I'm curious. Uh, and then another one that I saw today on this same note, because I was looking for virtual ones, there's one coming up called the Con of Champions. At least that's what they're calling it. So it, it's a fundraiser and virtual convention to keep tabletop events going during the pandemic, and that's straight off of their site. So tabletop events, I had to look this up because I didn't know what they were. Uh, apparently they do... Uh, software services for registration, basically all all of the software based and server based logistics to run a convention. You know, okay. uh, badge registration, uh, event registration, uh, and all that good stuff. And uh, so I started looking at theirs. Now I'm using this one to kind of bookend the uh, um uh. The Origins one, because where the Origins one is using a pay what you want for a badge. Right. 
This one actually has badges ranging from, and I quote, $2 up to $7,000. Jeez. What? Yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> Now, the, the paint what you want, I get because, and I appreciate that, because they're acknowledging that even though they're providing you with a similar uh, similar service, you're not getting the full service and benefits you would from being at a con. Yeah. So I appreciate that they're not charging you like, a $75 weekend badge price when you're doing an online con. But what the hell would I pay $7,000 for an online virtual? <laughs> what do I get for that, Scott? Yeah. Well, I was curious about the same thing. So yeah, I, I followed the link, followed it right down this huge rabbit hole. But um, so the $7,000 badge, which first of all, all these badge levels are, are, are limited to 100,000 badges to be sold. So, so they're the only going to sell one hundred thousand seven thousand dollar badges. That's it. After that, we're done. We, All we right. No more. We got no more room for you. <laughs> they're making a hard stance. <laughs> hard cap there at a hundred thousand. <laughs> so the the seven thousand dollar level is called God, and, and in the description it says you will get a permanent badge on your user profile to uh, a to- tabletop events, showing that you are a champion. You get to pick a perk. And register for events on May 1st. So I'm like, okay, so what are okay. the other? And I started looking. All of the uh all of the 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 descriptions for all of these tiers are the exact same thing with the exact same wording. The only change is the next lowest one gets to register on May 2nd, then May 3rd, then May 4th, then May 5th. So it's the only perk is you get to register for events earlier. Huh. That's it. And so the next lowest one, so they've sold none of the $7,000 version. Shock. They have. However, they have sold one of the $4,000 level. Some nerds are that bored, I guess. They've sold three of the $1,000 level. Jeez. Uh, Five of the 500, and it just, you know, goes on from there as you get lower and lower. But yeah, I'm like $7,000. Good Lord. And then I started looking at uh, this is the rabbit hole I went in. So and you're gonna this is gonna be funny where it ends up or weird where it ends up, however you perceive it. So I looked at the events and I was flipping through the events and it's 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 a bunch of stuff I've never heard of. Games I've never heard of, things. I'm like, I don't even know what half of this stuff is. I don't know what's going on. One of them I saw was a game called Help Wanted Santa Claus. I'm like, what the hell is that? So I clicked on it, uh-huh. and it, it's playtesting. Uh, Santa okay. has decided to, decided to retire, leaving many holiday characters clamoring for the job, blah, 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 blah. And I'm like, okay, playtesting, and I, I can see that and stuff like that, you know, and it's its thing. And so I, I decided, I, was like, I wonder if there's any, you know, this took me over to Google Images to see if I could find anything kind of related to it. And it's Santa Claus without an E. Okay, so it's just C-L-A-U-S. And when I typed that in, I found a link to a novel from 2011 called Santa Claus, no E, Conquers the Homophobes. (laughs) I've seen Santa Claus Conquers the Martians, but uh, that's a new one on me. Okay, okay. Yep, and this is the Santa Claus Chronicles Book 2. Oh. Yeah. What's it he conquer in book one? Apparently in book one, he has a very torrid love affair with the Tooth Fairy. 
It's called Santa Claus Steps Out. Okay. Yeah. I'm really thinking about picking these books up now. Because, like, the cover to the Santa Claus Conquers the Homophobes is Santa Claus uh, in the upper right-hand corner looking down on this naked woman bending down, apparently shitting out a bunch of gold coins. Uh, you, you got me. I don't know. Scott. <laughs> I, I don't know. Scott. <laughs> yes. I need you to make me and all of our listeners a promise right now. Yeah. Yes. When, not if, when you purchase these books, you have to start recording some readings of them. You can select your own passages, uh, but that is to be a recurring segment now. Okay. Passages w- from Santa I, Claus. I, okay, I, I okay. will purchase these books just so we can have a yes. recurring segment. Passages no other reasoning at all. Yes, no. The Santa Claus Chronicles. We may, you know what? Um, uh, my wife just had a really good idea. We may uh, reach out to a friend of the show. Uh, she's been absent for a while, but maybe we could get Martha to read some of these. That would make my day. Yeah. Well, I, okay. Uh, I, I will. I will get the books because they're not. They're, I mean, they're, obviously, they're not that expensive. But, I would uh, hope not. <laughs> uh, but uh, yeah, I will. I will get these books, and I will send an email to Martha, and we'll see if we can get Martha to read some passages from the oh, Santa Claus Chronicles. So happy now. Ah, <sighs> worth it. All right, it was worth whatever <laughs> rabbit hole you fell down to get to that. Sorry, but anyway, going back okay. to the initial thing was virtual yeah. cons are a thing that apparently is going to happen go. now, and I, I don't know how it's going to pan out, but we'll see. All right, uh, so I don't have anything as detailed as, as Commander Scott's, um, but on that same vein of you can't go to the con, bring the experience to you, one of the things I enjoy doing at conventions is going to different panels, especially if it's with uh, celebrities or a cast or a director or, or you know people that I'm interested in hearing talk about things. Um, while you might not be able to go to a con and go to a panel, there is this treasure trove of past panels on YouTube. So pick a show you like, pick an actor you like, and just YouTube search uh, convention panel Nathan Fillion. See what pops up. They might be old, um, but they're new to you. So there's tons of awesome panels out there from past conventions that you probably missed because, you know, if you're at a convention like Dragon Con, uh, there's no way you went to every panel you wanted to during that convention. It's just not possible. Uh, there's just too much stuff going on at once. So it's a great way to to catch up on that. Most conventions now record their panels and um some of them are even doing stuff i think um before it got canceled even last year uh san diego comic-con was doing the thing where you could uh for a certain like subscription fee you could get broadcast uh, uh um panels so you can sit at home and watch the panels from home without having to go to the convention so there's lots of stuff out there you can you can kind of bring one facet of the convention. You could even go get decked out in your favorite cosplay and then sit on your couch and throw up a panel on your TV and just pretend like you're there. Be awesome. Don't shower for a few days first. Get that authentic convention <laughs> panel room <laughs> smell. Uh, I don't recommend that, but you could. Get, get that nice con funk going on there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was my my big thing of, of uh, go check out panels you may have missed on YouTube. Now you, uh, you you want to hear some fans go insane at a panel? Google the uh, the uh, Clone War season seven. 
preview announcement at San Diego <laughs> Comic Con, what last year, year before, whatever it was. Yep. Yeah, those people went nuts. Yes, they did. Uh, well, John. Yes. You brought up something and you mentioned it again with sitting on your couch wearing a cosplay. Mm-hmm. One of my favorite things about conventions is doing cosplay mm-hmm. and uh, just getting out as one of your favorite characters. And now that there are no conventions this summer, this would be a perfect opportunity for you to create or work on a cosplay. Um, Something to do now that conventions have been canceled. You've got some time. You should have an extra influx of cash to maybe get those pieces that you needed. Spend that Trump money. Yeah, to finish whatever it was. Um, I know that one thing I would like to do this summer is um get my uh captain dallas cosplay back Mm -hmm. up and running Mm -hmm. um i haven't built another flamethrower yet that was a lot of fun to do that so i'm gonna piggyback i'm gonna piggyback right off that because the the next thing on my list was um so you great suggestion doc uh use this extra time to finish up that that cosplay you're working on or pull out an older one or maybe give it some some upgrades uh but while you're at it since you're stuck at home and maybe have an influx of cash, take this time, go back to that handy dandy YouTube, learn some new cosplay skills. Yeah. Learn how to do uh, EVA foam armor. Learn how to do uh, awesome, cool, like cell shaded makeup on your face so you can literally turn yourself into a cartoon character. Um, you know, take this stuff. time to up your game a bit and learn a new skill. So when cons do come back around, you can be that much more awesome. Yeah, like making that flamethrower. So, uh, if if you're doing um, Captain Dallas, does that mean I get to be Lilu? <laughs> other other Dallas, wrong wrong Dallas. D- D- Dallas from Alien. But I want to be Lilu. Okay. No one's gonna stop you, Scott. You can be Lilu Dallas no. Multipass. Lilu well, Dallas okay. Multipass. We- Whitney might fight you, but go ahead and do it. I want, I want to see. Can you can you do a weird mashup of Corbin and Lilu Dallas? Hmm. Corbin can, Lilu Dallas multipass. Can Nicole be Corbin Dallas, and you can be Lilu Dallas, and Koran can be Ruby Rod? Ruby Rod. It's possible. Okay, I have to work on that. <laughs> We're not the kidnap and hogtie Koran to get him to do the costume. So, this is true. <laughs> yeah, just get yourself some strategically placed bandages, Scott, and uh, dye your hair Kool Aid orange, and you're yep. there, man. Mm-hmm. Yep. Mm-hmm. All right. I think I, I think I can do it. Oh boy! So that <laughs> that was my. Um, yeah, that's all I've got for what to do now that your con is canceled. Sulk is uh, is what I've been doing. Lost sulking. Yeah. Well, yeah. you know, I don't, I don't really have any any other like real items because, like I said, that that lovely rabbit hole that I went down <laughs> took up quite yeah. a bit of my time. Um, <laughs> but uh, uh, last week, you know, uh, on the show last week, we uh, we we talked about different games and such. And so this past Sunday, the doc and I actually spent like five hours. Uh, online together on 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 uh, uh, <laughs> I can't remember the name of the program now. Doc, help me Tabletop out. Tabletop Simulator. Thank you. Tabletop Simulator playing uh, Leaving Earth. So, best five hours ever. 
So yeah, if you want to, you know, that's always something to look into is uh, getting together with your con con uh, con families uh, virtually and uh, engaging in your normal debauchery activities remotely. Thanks for the invite, guys. John, you shut up. Yes, shut John, up. You you would hate this game. Oh God. <laughs> You Stop will hate this game. <laughs> Promise me you guys aren't going to hang out without me ever again. Okay, well, uh, <laughs> we're get Steam and table, Tabletop Simulator. We're planning another session this uh, Sunday. No, nah, that's, uh, that's all you guys. As soon as Star Trek Ascendancy gets a version of the uh, online tabletop, you let me know. Yeah, unfortunately, I don't think it's available uh, uh, anywhere it is, right now. Um, Scythe is available. I know that. What is? Scythe. Oh yeah, yeah. That, I've 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 been intrigued by the art from that game. Yeah, it's, it's it an interesting game. I've played, uh, I've played maybe I don't know five or six different games over the course of the last several years, and mm-hmm. um, I have lost horribly every time I played it because I don't understand this game. Uh, that works to my advantage. This game is pissing me off, and uh, I need to play it more so that I can master it and show it who's boss. Fair enough. Well, uh, anyone sorry. else ideas of I, what to do? I just have one thing left. Play it um, honest. And that's because I did this myself. Um, and this goes for more than just. And I've been to con- I've been to other conventions, and I've done the conventions for a while now. Mm-hmm. Uh, thanks to Obi John, um, and one thing is sometimes when I go to conventions, I'm not sure who somebody is or who's that character or what is that thing they're talking about. So this is a great time. Like I said, you know, you've got this influx of cash that you would be spending on a con. Why not catch up on some shows, comics, books, whatever? And uh, I said I did this because not only did I watch season seven of Clone Wars, um, I also watched all of the Harry Potter movies and am now reading the Harry Potter books. Have never done that. You, never did, it did. The, you did it in the right order, sir. <laughs> Up oh. that nerd IQ, man. Hell yeah. That's, you know, I, it was just something I thought of that I did because I had, for some odd reason, some stigma against the Harry Potter films and books. And then once I watched the movies and started reading the books, I was like, I actually enjoy this more than I thought I would. So you might find some new thing that you really enjoy. I could have sworn he'd already read the books. No. Nope. Fair enough. Yet neither of you jackasses have read Percy Jackson. I learned that this week. Sorry. I have not. Bunch of jackasses playing games without me and not reading Percy Jackson. Although I did like his version of Lord of the Rings. You know, the Hobbit and stuff. He, he, did, <laughs> he did a really great job on those. Is Percy Jackson, is he the one that was in um, Pulp Fiction? Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm, totally. I think so. Yeah. Percy L. Jackson. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <clears throat> I bring up Percy Jackson because it's the segue into our next topic for this week. Um, so if you haven't read the Percy Jackson novels, like, like apparently the majority of this show hasn't, you don't know what you're missing out on. Uh, they're fantastic. Yes, they're written for middle school kids, but that's probably why it held my attention because 
ADHD is a bitch. Um, it's it's a series of novels. There's five in the original series. There's uh, several spinoff series from there. Um, they did get movies made in the uh, 2010 era. There, there's two of them. They're not good. Please don't watch them. And if you have watched them, please don't don't ever judge a book series by its movie adaptation. Please, please don't do that. Sorry, what was that? Okay, <clears throat> that'll be fun to edit out later. Um, <laughs> let me write the time code on that. Um, <clears throat> the, the, the series of books, uh, there's there's five in the original series, Percy Jackson and the Olympians. There's several spinoff uh, series and companion series to that. Essentially, they're about a character named, guess, Percy Jackson, who discovers that he is, in fact, a demigod. He is, in fact, the half-mortal, half-god son of uh, Poseidon. And all of Greek mythology is real. The gods, the monsters, all of it. Um, and it, it's very Harry Potter-esque. Uh, think Harry Potter, substitute magic and wizards for Greek mythology. You're halfway there. Um, he ends up at a camp called Camp Half-Blood that trains demigods because monsters and evil things are drawn to demigods because they emanate power. Uh, so the kids have to be trained up so they can survive in the real world. The more powerful your lineage to the gods are, the bigger aura you put off. Um, they're awesome. They're a quick read if you're an adult-level reader, because, again, they are written for, like, 13-year-olds at a junior high level, um, which is not to say they're badly written, but they're they're written for an audience with a much shorter attention span, which is how I was able to read the whole series in a month because <laughs> eyes don't read fast. Uh, but they're awesome. However, the movies are friggin' terrible. Um, I don't know how to describe them. Just, uh, just, just they took everything cool about the books and ditched them out and made them as super generic as you could be. They're bad. They're bad. But that's not the point. The point is. Finally, Percy Jackson fans are getting a glimmer of hopes. Uh, the rights to the film rights went back to the author. Uh, offer went back to the author Rick Riordan, uh, who has now signed a deal with uh, Disney because they're published by a company owned by Disney. Uh, so Percy Jackson is getting a second chance at a decent adaptation uh, in the form of a Disney Plus series. This was announced last week. We don't really know any details about it other than it's in production or it's in uh, development. Um, so Percy Jackson fans are super happy. We might finally get to see a decent adaptation of our beloved character and all the characters that uh, inhabit his world. So that got me thinking. And that leads, leads to super long introduction to get to the point of this. Sorry, I'm long-winded. Uh, re-adaptation. What franchises, properties, whatever, do you think deserve a second shot at a decent adaptation? Well, first well, of all, going, going to uh, Percy Jackson real quick. Yes. As, yeah. as, as you may or may not know, I've never read the books or seen the movies. Um, but listening to you describe them it kind of sounds like harry potter the greek version you're not wrong there's okay surface similarities yes like if you were gonna well, pitch yeah, but... if you're gonna pitch this if that's what you do is you pitch it's harry potter with greek mythology well yeah but i mean there's there's no new stories it's just you know well that's so so that's yeah and that's kind of what i'm glad you said that 
<laughs> I'm going to go on a Percy Jackson tirade now. That's what got the author to write these stories in the first place. His his child was sick in the hospital, and he's uh-huh. a professor of mythology. Okay. And he would entertain his kid by telling him st- stories from Greek mythology. Okay. One day, his kid said, tell me a story. And he's like, I told you all the stories I know. He's like, well, I want to hear a new story. He's like, well, I don't know any new Greek mythology stories, you know? Greek, <laughs> Greek culture is kind of dead. Uh, so his kid said, well, just make them up, Dad. And that's what got him thinking. So the the setting is the the Greek gods never died. Uh, they they've they're still in our world, just disguised as mortals and other things. Uh, so all of Greek mythology is real. It happened back then. All those characters are still around. Uh, monsters don't stay dead. Um, when they die, they go to Tartarus, and after a certain amount of time, they can basically come back from Tartarus. Um, there's so much to deep dive into it's a really really well thought out and really well put together world which is what i love about it Uh, a world in which uh the greek myths and heroes and monsters are still a part of our world we just don't quite know it um and and percy is our new hero obviously um there's a prophecy about uh, a child of one of the big three who may or may not be percy so there's there's they're great individual books because they all have their own beginning, middle, and end, and a fun story and some kind of quest, uh, usually in each book. But they build on a larger story. Each one is a part of a bigger story, kind of like Harry Potter. Um, more well done than Harry Potter, in my opinion. Um, <laughs> and then the, the world was so great with all these uh, characters who were all uh, demigods or creatures and whatnot that after he finished the first five books which is called Percy Jackson and the Olympians. He did a whole spinoff series where we learn that the Roman gods are still around too. And there's a whole separate camp that the children of the Roman gods get sent to. Uh, And these camps collide. And we see our returning Percy Jackson characters with a whole new cast of people from the Roman camp. Uh, That was the... The Heroes of Olympus series, which is, I think, another five-book series. Let me check what his book show. Yeah, five books. Um, he did a whole spinoff series based on Egyptian mythology called the Red Pyramid Trilogy. I wasn't so much into that one. Uh, and he just started, um, I think he's three or four books deep into one about Norse mythology. Um, they're awesome. They're all fun. They're all quick reads. If you're a decent level reader, they all hold your attention. They've got really fun characters, really cool storylines. The world they build is awesome. If you're a fan of mythology, this is for you because it's mythology in a modern setting. That was a long-winded speech. I'm sorry. (laughs) Go read them. They're awesome. He's got a sword that turns into a pen. And it has the coolest feature ever, which is if he ever loses it, all he has to do is put his hand back in his pocket, and it will reappear in his pocket. As a kid that loses everything. That is a a handy enchantment for a pen to have. Almost as good as a magic hammer that returns to your hand when you throw it. It's even better. I lost my sword. Hold on. Let me dig my pocket. Ah, There it is. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, So, going with our theme of readaptation. Sorry. No, it's okay. okay. Get us back on track, Jason. Uh, sometimes you get an adaptation of a, like some sort of property to film that is a perfect shot-for-shot remake, like, for example, Sin City. Right? Okay. Like a literal translation? Like a literal translation. Sometimes you get a, um, I guess you could say, uh, 
a creator's sort of, hey, creative liberty with this property. I'm going to take the idea, but make it my own, a la Jurassic Park, uh, which I've read the book. Yes. And I've seen the movie. Yes. And I love the book. And I love the movie. Although the movie is nothing like the book. I mean, there are characters characters and there's (laughs) some plot elements, but basically they're nothing alike. But I can love love them separately. Definitely took the general premise and kind of ran with it in that one. Right. And then sometimes you get something that falls in between trying to make a faithful adaptation and also trying to take creative liberties. And you get something that ruined one of my favorite books from when I was in seventh and eighth grade, Ender's Game. Oh, yes. Ender's Game's a great book. I love that book. I was super duper stoked when I heard that they were making it into a movie. Can confirm. I had that hour and a half phone call with you. I went to that movie when it came out and came out disappointed. Um, they 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 distilled out all the really good nuances that made the world great. Right? So I think, so my first one when I say re-adaptation is I think mm-hmm. Ender Game needs a fair shake. And I I, in my own opinion, believe that Ender's Game could not be done in one film. I agree completely. You could split it into two, maybe three, focusing no. on his different, like, different parts. Yeah. Should it even be a film, or should no, this be a no. series? Yeah, it should be a series. Yeah, the Ender's Game should should be a, a streaming series. Uh, yeah, something. Yeah. It needs, what I'm saying is it needs... More than two hour runtime. Yeah, right. Well, it you need to be fleshed out completely because yeah. you can't take his time at battle school and turn it into a fifteen minute montage. Exactly. <laughs> you can. That's not a movie. <laughs> well, there's so much. Go ahead. Well, that, that that well that and his uh, his sister and his brother have great story arcs. Uh, Were they even and, in the movie? Uh, the, briefly, sister, the brother okay. was for like ten seconds. Okay. Yeah, exactly. Um, now, I, I will admit that uh, you know their their story doesn't come really into the forefront until the the the, the second book uh, and the third book in the series. But you know, in, even in the first first book, they're there and showing that try. You know, because when it comes to a series adaptation, uh, and I, there are several that have have shown this very well and one of the most recent i think was uh, the expanse is you don't have to do a season one book one season two book two you can take a lot of these elements from this you know from books one two three four as a whole and start interweaving them in at earlier points and to make a more comprehensive uh you know story arcs for all the characters involved uh but yeah they they distilled out so much in that movie that it's just like uh, I I I came out with a very harsh taste in my mouth from that movie because of just it's almost like they put the book on fast forward. I know that doesn't make <laughs> sense, but it, ludicrous it, speed. Yo, <laughs> we've gone plaid. <laughs> it's like it's like you skipped almost 
like whole chapters of information in the movie. And I just couldn't, I don't know. I couldn't deal with it, I guess. I just, so I think Ender's Game is my number one. Definitely should get a second shot at some sort of adaptation. And I I didn't consider it as a series, but when you guys brought that up, that is a great idea. Started as a series. I'm glad you brought that up, Jay, because when I, when I, Whitney asked, what are we talking about this week? And I told her the readaptation thing. The very first thing she said was Ender's Game. And I was like, I'm pretty sure the doc's going to bring that up. So I'm not going to put it on my list because I'm pretty sure the doc's going to bring that up. So I'm yeah. glad I'm glad you mentioned that. Uh, yeah, yeah. So it's a fantastic book. Um, and yeah, the movie is, it, it's, it's not as, not as good. I mean, it's, it's the story, I guess it's, it's the bare bones version of that story. It's missing a lot of, um, detail that kind of gives it nuance. Uh, it's it's like half the Cliff Notes version. Yeah, but that's and, and that's the inherent issue with adaptation is does being like you brought up Sin City does being a literal translation of a book to, into a film is that a good thing? Is is a, is a movie great because it follows exactly what the book did exactly the way the book did it? I would argue probably not because it's probably going to be boring. Jurassic uh, Park did it. Jurassic Park is nowhere near a literal translation of the book. That's what no, but that's what I mean. Oh, okay, like, okay, sorry, sorry. Yeah, and that that's you've got to make changes, otherwise just go read the book. Right. Uh, if you're if you're if you're doing shot for shot, you know, if if like you're a comic book adaptation and you're doing every shot as a panel from the comic with the same dialogue, then why don't I just go read the comic? Like there's there's got to be changes made to fit the medium you're adapting it to and books can run on for pages and pages and pages because there's there's you know paper and ink are cheap uh compared to making a movie where you've got to have a concise story and a runtime that can hold people's attentions so it's it's you know one's not better than the other they're different um so that being said sometimes movies are just the adaptation to that medium didn't quite work whether it was we cut out uh, things that maybe you know, we didn't think were important or maybe they weren't important or maybe we conceptualized something uh, weird. Like, you know, when you're reading a book, it's all in your head. When you do it in a movie, you've got to actually make it look real because people are seeing it. And sometimes there's that disconnect between what you had in your head and what the filmmakers went with. Right. That kind of thing. Sometimes, and this is going to be a long transition into my first pick. Sometimes you get an adaptation that is an adaptation in name only, meaning it took the name of the thing and did fuck all with the actual story. <laughs> One of my favorite graphic novels in all of history, and I will admit it has an yes. ace best. It's very early 2000, uh, 2010s. Yep. Ah, sorry. Um, got a movie adaptation that other than the name and I would say the first act of the movie more or less follows the first act of the comic. The rest is has has nothing to do at all with the comic. And that is nothing. Wanted by yeah. Mark Millar and J.G. Jones. If you've that never guy. read it, quick summation, Wesley is the main character. He has a shitty job. Uh, girlfriend cheating on him with his best friend that he kind of knows about. Uh, he's He's essentially the world's biggest pussy. He never gets into a confrontation because he was raised never to do that. He's a giant pushover. He's just kind of floating through the world. And then one day, uh, he finds out uh, he is 
the son of the world's most dangerous killer. In fact, the guy called the killer. Um, so the movie does that kind of same thing. Uh, he finds out his dad's dead and he's inherited his dad's uh, fortune, but he also inherited his dad's uh, role. Now, in the movie, he finds out his dad was part of a secret organization of assassins who get their orders of who they should kill through a giant loom that may or may not be operated by God. And they interpret the way the loom weaves the threads together to a weird binary code to tell them who to kill to keep order in the world and they can curve a bullet in midair by spinning their gun when they shoot. And it's fucking stupid. Here, here in the comic, he finds out Let me get this super streamlined in one sentence. His dad was a super villain, superheroes, super villains, all the comic book shit. It was all fucking real. It was real until 1986. What happened in 1986, all the villains, did the math and figured, hey, there's like 20 of us to every one superhero. And we have like aliens with super advanced technology and wizards and sorcerers and gods among us. Why do we keep getting our asses kicked? Fuck that. They all band together. And not only do they kill off all of the superheroes in the world, they use that advanced alien technology and and, and psychic powers uh, to make the entire world forget they ever existed. And they set up a secret organization called the Fraternity that actually runs the world. All the governments and systems in place you think are there to know, that's all bullshit. It's all the Fraternity. They carve up the world into, I think it's five different territories. Each one's headed up by a supervillain and the the various supervillains that work underneath them. And that's the world. And if you're in the Fraternity, you can do anything you want to because you're in the Fraternity. So it's the story of this guy who finds out not only uh, is he an heir to a uh, to a, a supervillain, um, he also has superpowers. They're kind of subtle. He has superhuman aim, which sounds dumb, but it's really cool. Uh, his his test to prove that he has powers is they put a gun to his head and tell him uh, there's flies zipping around the room and they say shoot the, shoot the wings off the flies, Wesley. And without looking in a panic, he fires three shots and shoots the flies off three flies or wings off three flies. Uh, the graphic novel is amazing. It's it's super violent and uh, definitely not for kids. Uh, but it, it's it's that ultimate ultimate wish fulfillment of finding out. Uh, not only are you the most badass person on earth without even knowing it, not only do you now have you inherited a giant fortune, but literally the world, the rules of this world, do not apply to you anymore. Um, it's fantastic. The the the. It's kind of a mystery of his his dad was the killer. Someone killed the killer who did it. Uh, so there's this kind of a mystery that ties around it. But what makes it awesome is it wasn't done by DC. It wasn't done by Marvel. <clears throat> it was published by Top Cow. And because of that, it gets to be kind of a critique and sometimes parody of Marvel and DC characters. So there's characters like uh, the Professor, who was essentially Lex Luthor. There's Mr. Rictus, who is kind of a combination of Red Skull and the Joker. Uh, there's a guy called Shithead, who is Clayface if he was made out of shit. <laughs> Some of them are a little more abstract than others. Some are kind of in your face. But it's this great, uh, because it, it wasn't uh, in either of those universes, it gets to poke fun at and kind of caricature some of the, the zanier parts of that universe. It's an amazing graphic novel. I don't want to give too much away. You should definitely go read it. Um, but the movie 
That movie was horrible. It's horrible. Literally, it's, it's in the, it has nothing to do yeah, with the it. comic other well, than the name. And that he can do weird things with bullets. Because even in the comic, I think he, he, he winds up curving some, some rods or something. But in but the it, comic, it, 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 yeah, it happens was, in the world of superpowers. Yeah, 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 exactly. And it was his superpower, yeah. But literally, they, they took the name and they took like one scene in the comic and said, that makes a good scene. Let's mm-hmm. craft this weird story around it. And that's it. They, they throw away everything else. Um, yeah, I read the graphic novel years ago, and and then I was really super excited way back when that movie was coming out. And then I'm like, what the fuck am I watching? Yeah, I, I yeah. Don't, this, this isn't the story. It's not. It's it's. Uh, and, and even take away my disappointment, and this isn't the source material that I was hoping to see. The movie on its own is a shitty movie. It's just dumb. It's a dumb fucking movie. And I will I will go out on a limb with an action movie if your action scenes are cool. I'll deal with whatever crap, uh, you know, ties those action scenes together. But it's not even that good of an action movie. It's it's just a bad movie. And then you you throw on the far superior source material it's supposed to be based on, and it's just like, okay, now you're just adding insult to injury. Yeah, like, like the scene from uh, uh, what is it? The the uh, the movie that came out the same year the A Team did. Uh, the Expendables, the losers, no, not, not the the losers. Yeah, yeah, like, like that, like that scene at the end of the losers. Where they're on the the LA pier, and they're loading a jet that's going to take off, but they never explain how the jet landed on the pier. Is there's not enough room for that jet to land on on that pier, and and then and then the sniper has a, a straight shot into the turbine mm-hmm. uh, of this jet, and for some odd reason he's not just taking the obvious shot to disable the jet and pretty much end the plot. I don't get it. I, I don't get it. Sorry. It's okay. <laughs> so yeah, my my number one with a bullet, not a curved bullet, just a regular bullet. <laughs> wanted by Mark Millar, um, and and Mark Millar did sign an exclusive deal with I think Netflix, <clears throat> um, that all of his his comic properties um, are available to Netflix. I don't know if that includes wanted or kick-ass because those have already been adapted. I don't know if studios still maintain some right stills or not, but there might be some hope that somewhere down the road, we might get a cool wanted Netflix series, um, which has to be pretty watered down for Netflix. Um, Cause this comic goes some places, but uh, it's fantastic. If you haven't read it, you can find it. <clears throat> well, I'd say it's your local comic book store, but if your local comic book store is open, call them. They probably got a copy of it, but you can find it on Amazon. Uh, it's fantastic. It is. It, it's. It's just. It's a great, great action comic. You don't have to be a, a big superhero nerd to get into it. Um, and the movie sucks. So give it a second shot. Horribly so. Horribly. Commander so. Scott, what do you got for us? Well, one of the some one of the things that I I like uh, book series um, that did get a a small adaptation. Uh, and there may be a lot of people who have never who may have heard of the book series and not known about the adaptation because it was really short lived was um a book series called the Dresden Files. Yeah. Uh I don't I don't know if either of you all have read those those I've read the first not. book. Um as far as I got. They they're really good books. The first book is fairly straightforward. There, there's really nothing very special about the first book, but if you keep reading, he he keeps filling in little bits and pieces of this world like per book. And 
you know, by the time you're before you know it, you're you're neck deep in this series and you're well versed in these characters. And they did a, a series, um, a very short lived series, um, back in I uh, got it here, 2007, I believe. Yeah, it went for one season. Um, it, it did not get uh, a lot uh, of episodes. I think it was only like 10, 12 episodes, something like 13 episodes, sorry. Uh, starring Paul Blackthorne, actually, uh, as, as Harry Dresden. And I know you know who that is. <clears throat> Papa Lance, yeah. Yeah. Um, love the world. The, the, the series wasn't bad. But it never got a chance to really do anything good, you know? It was the first season kind of world building a little bit and introducing mm-hmm. some characters. But it never got a chance to come into its own. Um and this is one of the reverses where, I mean, I would love to see Harry Dresden come back. Uh, I wouldn't mind to see a nice streaming series now because they are doing really nice stuff with the streaming things, obviously. Mm-hmm. But uh, I think movie adaptations for this, going from series to movie and seeing the other way around, uh, would uh, would benefit well from this. I, I know the author um, uh, has been ha- has had some, he's, he's had some personal problems uh, here in, in, in his life the last, like, five or six years which is why we haven't gotten a new novel but uh uh and i know he he had it marked at one point when he was going to get the rights back uh so that he could uh actually talk to people about doing movie deals i know he wanted to at one point um but yeah uh, for those of you aren't familiar with it harry dresden uh is a wizard and i know this is not uncommon especially in today's you know uh, pop culture geek nerd world, but uh, he did have a bit of a catch. You know, when the series starts and everything is that is he is the only wizard listed in the Chicago Yellow Pages. Yeah, uh, Dresden, and this is what hooked me in. Someone told me it's it's film noir with magic. Yes, he's a private eye wizard. Yep. In yeah, yeah. 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 And I mean, one of the things like stuff, there's, there's all kinds of stuff in these, these books that just, just make you laugh out loud. It's just great. Um, one of my favorite ones, uh, was in, uh, the book blood rights. Uh, it's in the first chapter. It's how it opens, you know, uh, uh, Harry comes running out of this place, uh, with these purple monkey things flying around that are, uh, uh, flinging, well, exploding poop. And <laughs> he's running toward his car and he's yelling toward his brother, you know, to to get the car started. They go they go speeding off. And uh, after they finally get away, like I said, this is the opening chapter. Uh, Thomas is, is yelling at him. He's like, Christ, Dresden, you almost got me killed. He's like, oh, don't be a baby. You're fine. He's like, well, you could have at least told me. I did tell you. I said, I told you at max. I'd give you a ride home, but I had to run an errand first. Thomas scowled, and Aaron is getting a tank of gas, or picking up a carton of milk, or something. It is not getting chased by flying purple pyromaniac gorillas hurling incendiary poo. How is this not an awesome book series? Just I mean, you're right, you're right. I mean, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> flying purple pyromaniac gorillas hurling incendiary poo. Are the only yeah, one that I, I'm hilarious? Awesome. I've got got a bunch of friends who are in the series like i said i read the first book uh but i'm a slow reader so it takes me while to get through shit uh but i know a lot of people said the same thing like the the show is not god awful but it's not 
quite Harry Dresden. Yeah. And if, if any series, you know, is ripe for a series because, you know, every book is essentially a new case. Um, so you've got plenty of episodic stuff. You can, it, 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 the TV show episodes write themselves. It's a mm-hmm. mystery of the week, but with magic and, and all the crazy shit he gets into, um, he gets attacked by giant scorpions at one point in his office. Uh, yes. which I think what I remember from the first book, uh, there's angels and demons and it's, it's crazy. Um, well, and, and there's, there's the vampires because, yeah. because he has, I mean, there's, there's, there's red court vampires. There's, uh, I'm trying to remember, uh, uh, white court vampires and black court vampires. So red court vampires are, are, are basically these very demonic looking bat wing creatures, you know, that, uh, use glamours to make themselves appear human. Uh, and they, they enslave people and, and enthrall people and, and, and they, they feed and, you know, and, and on flesh and things like that. White court vampires are basically, um, uh, energy vampires, emotional vampires. They feed off of, uh, they get, you know, people to love them and then they feed off of that until they just drain them of all their energy. Um, Black court vampires are not actually in the series. At least that I remember. I don't know if there's any, but for the most part, they're extinct. And the reason is black court vampires are your standard, typical Dracula vampire. Okay. Uh, Crosses, sunlight, holy water, you know, all that good stuff. And uh, apparently the red court vampires, you find out in the series, uh, uh, got Bram Stoker to write the book and fed him all the information and got him to write the book as basically a, Hey, here's how to kill black court vampires. And once it became popular, everybody knew how to kill them and they got hunted to extinction. Huh. They did it because they were at war with them. Clever girl. So <laughs> yeah, that's my old impression. <laughs> <laughs> So yeah, this is definitely yeah. a series I would I would love to see get rebooted, get uh, brought back to the mainstream. Uh, it's got a lot of a lot of stuff in the world that would go very well in today's marketplace, um, and uh, yeah, it just needs to be done. It needs to be done very well. Hopefully, I think this is one of those. As soon as the rights issues get cleared up, somebody will will pick it up and try again. Well, that's true. The, the series has only gotten more popular. Yes, the and the problem is. And the reason we haven't gotten a book in many, many years is because so Jim Butcher got really, really popular as an author mm-hmm. because of this series. Everybody mm-hmm. loved this series. So he started writing this other series that he wrote. He would write like one book of one, then back to Dresden, then one book of the other. And it's this fantasy fairy series. And I tried reading it. I don't really care for it. But after he became popular and started getting you know, some money and stuff from more lucrative book deals and a little bit from the series and stuff. Uh, apparently, and of course I don't know all the details, obviously I'm just going by what I've read on forums. Uh, apparently he decided he didn't like his wife anymore, mm-hmm. you know? And so, uh, he and his wife got divorced and he shacked up with this like 19 year old or something like that. You know, someone half his age type thing. It's one of those scenarios, mm-hmm. but, um, he doesn't fully own the rights to, to all the rights to Dresden. His wife has half of them because apparently she is a lot of the, he writes, but she's a lot of the creative 
side of making the world good. And like the last couple of books that he wrote after the divorce aren't quite as good as when she had input. At least in my opinion, I read them. I'm like, okay, but I don't. eh." Uh, So he stopped writing Dresden books. And he actually said for a while he was completely done writing Dresden books because uh, he didn't want to give. And I I think I'm quoting this right. He didn't want to give that bitch any more of his hard earned money. Um, All right, then. Yeah. So I assume, but eventually he started working on one because the fans were just wanting, they they just want Dresden. Yep. Um, And uh, so I don't know if that may be something else that could hold up any Well, there's already like 17 books or something in in the Dresden files. It's It's some crazy amount. Something like that, yeah. So... I haven't seen one in several years, so I don't I don't know if I'm just behind or if he just stopped writing them again. Nah. But yeah, if if he's in that level of, you know, bitterness, mm-hmm. that, that could be holding up a, a development yeah. too. Yeah. Well, Doc, you got any others? I do. Uh this next one I I don't want to say it's out of left field, but it's one that I've thought on for quite some time after I finished reading the book. Okay. And then revisited the film and thought, okay, they could do better. Uh, if you remember in like the 90s, it seemed like there was a huge push to pick up these like sci fi books and turn them into films. You had, um, you had Jurassic Park, and then you had The Lost World, then you had Sphere, um, you had Congo. All these yeah, anything with Michael Crichton's name on it was a movie. Yep. Right. And I feel like there were some studios that were like, oh, we need to get a Michael Crichton. And then it's like, oh, but somebody already has Michael Crichton. Well, let's get the next best thing. And this book terrified me when reading it. I couldn't read it at night. I had to read it during the day. And that's that's rare for a book to scare me in this way. But the book is the relic. Pop on pop. Uh, the Relic. I'll yes. And the movie, I actually saw the movie first and I was like, oh, okay. And then I read the book and I was like, wait a minute. Yeah. So when I looked at the movie again, I was like, okay. They, this is not right. Yeah, that's another, uh, we took the basic bones of the story and then just kind of did our own thing. Right. And as terrifying as that book is, because it's a when you read it it is a terrifying book you don't know who's gonna live who's gonna die anybody goes at any point in time um and they just sort of turn it into a generic monster movie with some sort of weird mashup monster but like what you said earlier you get an image in your head of what you think it is Mm -hmm. and the way they describe it in the book is described perfectly that it is it still looks like a person like it still has physical attributes of being more human than anything. And it, they turn it into a giant salamander tusk lizard thing. That now, happened. now look. All right. The movie <clears throat> on its own is not a bad movie, especially if you like monsters and creature features. It's right. about, uh, it's the movies in Chicago. The book is New York or vice so, versa. Yeah. Um, it, it, the natural history museum. People start turning up dead. Uh, 
without spoiling too much, turns out to be this this uh, creature from a, a lost African tribe that was worshipped as a god. Uh, I don't want to say too much more, but it, it, it's essentially it's a monster loose in a museum. Right. Um, and it's it's <laughs> the movie delivers on that. It's a monster loose in the museum. Uh, but the book definitely goes into a lot more detail um, and gets into a lot more. Um... Yeah, the, the book is more thorough. The movie is a very bare bones, stripped down version of that story. And I, I do agree with you that the movie on its own, if you had no idea that it was a book, because the first time I saw that movie, I had no idea it was a book. And then I read the book. And then I thought, wait a minute, something's not right. So if you could, you could take the movie and just rename it something else, not the relic, because again, you're just taking <laughs> the name and the premise. A like, night at the museum. Oh, wait a minute. Wait, wait. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so it's, I feel like that is something that you could get a new adaptation of um, mm-hmm. and make it more terrifying because it seems like today's audiences are more okay with that kind of a terrifying type movie. Or um, making a comeback. You know, just basically because i think one of the major hang-ups is that in the book there are some kids who get into peril and with what's come out lately kids in peril is not necessarily a hang-up for today's movie movie viewers anymore <laughs> um yeah no. games, it anything like that but anyway so that was one that i mean it's just been kind of sitting in my mind um the book is just so good. Like I said, I couldn't read it at night because it got into my head that much. So I feel like that's something that I would be. It would. I, I would try to revisit. I got to see that movie in theaters. My uncle took me to see it during Thanksgiving break, I think. And we got back, and I loved it because it was an awesome monster. Uh, but he had read the book, and he's like, "Yeah, it was okay. The book's better." And he literally like went to his office, came back, and tossed me a paperback copy of the book. Um, I want to say I was in like seventh or eighth grade, somewhere in there. Um, but I, yeah, I, I was same but same but as you, Jay. I saw the movie first and then read the book, and I was like, okay, well, the movie was cool, but then I read the book, and I'm like, well, wait a minute, could have been a thousand times cooler. Uh, dude, yeah, I I am all aboard some more relic action. It's a it's a great property. Uh, uh, I've, I've never seen the movie or read the book, so I got nothing oh, going on here. It's got Tom Sizemore in it. Uh, yeah, Tom Sizemore. Playing not a jerk, yeah. (laughs) Uh, Was uh, uh, not Penelope Cruz, Penelope Ann Miller. Uh, It's got, and and most importantly, it has creature effects by the Stan Winston Studios. So the people who did the Queen from Alien and the Terminators in Terminator and the Dinosaurs in Jurassic Park did your practical effects for this monster, and I think ILM did the digital effects. So even though it's a mid '90s CGI horror movie. It's pretty good mid '90s CGI horror. Yeah, random fact: um, the copy that I have at my house, I think, is actually your copy, Obi Jenna. Oh, okay, okay, <laughs> that you lent to me. One that time. sounds like a thing I would do. Well, I'm glad <laughs> you enjoyed it, man. Yeah, it's... that's what books are for. Pass them on. Right, but uh, for, I'm, I'm, I'm gonna need a copy back for real, Jay. Uh, you got some major late fees on that too. I don't know if you uh, <laughs> did. You rewind it. 
Ah, see, you didn't rewind it, so there's going to be a rewind fee on that, too. <laughs> yeah. Uh, no, rewind dude, good fees. <laughs> Am I dating myself now? Uh, speaking of monster stuff, uh, my next pick, they made two movies based on this property, and unfortunately, they ignored all of the source material that existed and decided to do their own thing with it. Um, and they're two pretty terrible movies. One of them is a guilty pleasure of mine. Uh, I know it's a terrible movie. <laughs> I watch it anyway. The other one, I'm like, I don't know why I own this. This is pretty terrible. <laughs> um, but I do because I love this property. And in the 90s, it did not get cooler than Alien versus Predator. Uh-huh. And finally, in 2006, we got an Alien vs. Predator movie. On Earth, in the snow, up in the Arctic. It was like, what? What? what is this? Because every comic, uh, every, every novel that had aliens and predators was in the future in space. Or on a planet, or on a space station, or in a colony, or something like that. And suddenly we're ham-fisted with a it's on earth storyline and um, the movies are bad they know they're bad i have a soft spot for the first one because the sleigh ride of friendship is magical Uh, (laughs) but i know it's a bad movie it just tickles me anyway uh the sequel is god awful Uh, it's got some good suit work but that's about the only nice thing i can say about it because as dumb as it was to have aliens fighting predators in an abandoned whaling station in the arctic the sequel decided let's have aliens fighting a predator in a suburb of Colorado. <laughs> You're going the opposite direction, guys. Uh, so I would love to see this property get dusted off and done properly, uh, specifically, uh, and not just because I'm rereading it right now because quarantine. Um, there was a trilogy of novels uh, in the Alien versus Predator anthology of stuff. Uh, that followed one central character and and her 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 journey through the world of predators and aliens. I would love to see a decent adaptation of <clears throat> Alien versus Predator: Prey, the first uh, book in that series, following the character of Michiko Noguchi, who is a uh, mid level executive running a a colony on a planet called Ryushi. It's this backwater planet where they raise these big dumb cattle alien things. Uh, uh, there's not much there. It's a very boring thing. It's a very, very mundane posting until some predators come and plant some alien xenomorph eggs that then get inside the giant cattle things and then hatch to become giant, uh, uh, aliens. The whole colony gets overrun by aliens and the predators who were there to hunt them quickly get overwhelmed. And it it does have some of the little more far-fetched things. You do see a predator team up with a human to fight off aliens. Yet somehow in the book, it doesn't look as nearly as ridiculous as it does in the, the movie. Um, so right there, you're in space. Well, you're on a planet. You're in a colony. It's in the future. You've got all that like future sci-fi tech you want from an alien movie. Uh, you've got spaceships and stuff like that. You've got big open spaces for predators to go hunt in. It's great. Um, and it led to two other novels, uh, Hunter's Planet and War. Uh, both following the same character because spoiler at the end of the first book, she becomes blooded by uh, the predator and goes off. And for an undisclosed period of time, literally runs with a clan of predators. Cause she's just that badass. 
Uh, I'd love to see that. I'd love to see this franchise get a decent shake, especially now that you can do things like spaceships and colonies and whatnot on a much more budget-friendly um, scale. Man, I love Aliens, and I love Predator, and I want to see them come back. The Predator was absolute dog shit. I don't know where the hell the Alien prequels are trying to go. I think they're dead officially now. Uh, but don't let these franchises, these properties go by the wayside. Disney, now that you own Fox and everything, here's a great opportunity to kill two birds with one stone and bring back both franchises properly with an Alien versus Predator uh, proper adaptation. Here, here. Well, I, I I think this would be something good for Michael Bay to pick up because he hasn't had an excuse to blow up the Space Needle in, in Seattle yet. Scott, you get the hell of with my uh, name is better. <laughs> Get out of here! Shoot! Shoot! <laughs> you don't want to see Michael Bay blow up the Space Needle in Seattle? No. Somebody, somebody get a, a, a thing with lots of knobs on it and put it in front of Scott. <laughs> or keep him busy for a minute. Ooh, uh, no, no, I don't. <laughs> Uh, honestly, I would love to see uh, my my mind went blank. Neil Blomkamp, uh, who did um, uh, District Nine and Elysium, and that other one that I can't think of the name of. I'd love to see him uh, take a crack at this franchise. He was at one point going to do a Alien retcon sequel um, and do like an actual Aliens sequel, but it appears that is dead in the water now. So I'd love to see him do something with it. He, he does great sci-fi, and I'd love to see him do um, something with his property. That's who I put in charge of it. But nobody asked me yet, so. <laughs> Cox, any others? All right. I've, I've got a couple of more. Um, one I'm saving for last. Uh, another, okay. one, another one that I have on my list that is, it's not, a, it's not one I want to see readapted because it's never been adapted. But I would love to see it adapted. I just wanted to throw it in there. Okay. Um, it's a book series by um, an author whose name I can't. Craig DeLuey. Thank you. Uh, and a six book series by Craig DeLuey about uh, a, uh, um, a a Navy officer in World War II. Uh, just after Pearl Harbor, he transfers to the submarines in the Pacific Fleet, and it follows him through the rest of the war after Pearl. Uh, coming up in the subs and everything. And it's a great book series. Uh, the audiobooks are read and performed by a gentleman named R.C. Bray. And if you've never listened to any of his audio stuff, you should go go get everything that he has done audiobook because he is a brilliant performer. And every time I, I, I've listened to this book series like six times, um, all six books. And every time I do, I just, I love it. I love the characters and the way he ends the series, you know, is at the end of the war. And it just, I mean, it, it, it chokes me up a bit at the end of it because of where he positions the characters at the end of the story. And I would love to see this get picked up and adapted uh, as a full series because each book is, is so well done that it could be a season in and of itself easily. I mean, it, it writes itself. It's already done. It would not be difficult at all for uh, even a minimum staff of decent writers to adapt into a series. But if you haven't checked it out, it's called Crash Dive by Craig DeLuey, and you should go listen to it. Well, Scott, that was not the assignment. <clears throat> I know, but I wanted to throw it in there. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, I have one last one. Hit us, Jay. Now, this one's kind of tough for me because there's 
there are ways that you could get around turning this into an actual film adaptation again. Um, and some could argue that by just doing one thing, you basically are going through a film adaptation. But if you're a 90s kid like me, you were so excited when they announced that they were making a movie about one of your most favorite video games you played as a child, Doom. I was going to say, as soon as you say video, I'm like, okay, that describes every 90s video game movie. So, <laughs> well. uh, Doom was a movie I was excited for. And uh. then it turned into just a regular run-of-the-mill, hey, look at us, shoot some stuff. An Aliens clone. And, like, it it was not, it wasn't Doom. I mean, they were not fighting the hell spawn of Satan. I'm just saying. That's what they weren't doing. This took but, place on Mars, right? But, Doc, they had, they had the really great first-person, you know, sequences. Yeah, With, that's, just, that's just like the, the game. It's first person. It, it that, qualifies. That one experience <laughs> is the only good thing about that entire film. And it lasts what? Whoa. Two and a half Whoa. Minutes, three minutes. Whoa. I'm going to fight you on that one for a sec, Jay. Okay. Uh, that is not the only good thing about that movie. Who's in that movie, Jay? Carl Urban. Carl fucking Urban. All right. Yeah. Carl Urban. Show some it. respect. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. But even even Carl Urban can't save that movie. He, he did tries, but he's he he's the only thing worth watching in that movie. Because Carl Urban, if you're listening, because I know he listens to the show, Carl, he didn't mean what he said. Carl, we love you. Love love you to death, Carl Urban. Um, but it wasn't it wasn't the video game. You know what I mean? And historically, no. video game adaptations don't do well as movies. But. I think if you just made, if they got another shot at Doom, and like I said, you you could argue that just by playing the new Doom video game that basically you're going to go through a film adaptation. But just give us our fun shoot-em-up. I mean, there doesn't have to be some sort of alternate plot. You don't need to go to another planet to take care of this you don't you, have you haven't played the newest game have you jay no because <laughs> it does everything you just said it doesn't need to do oh yeah lore and background and story in different planets yeah mm-hmm. that's see i'm just thinking of the classic first person shooter where you get to walk around with a double-bladed chainsaw and a shotgun that's way too powerful for it to even exist. <laughs> and and sure. a, a big fucking gun. Bio force gun. Come on now. That's that's what I said. Yeah. Uh here's I, here's the problem, Jay. Here's the problem with yeah. that, Jay. I love a good aliens knockoff as much as the next guy, uh, which is exactly what Doom is. Uh, but they tried to do a second Doom movie. It, it, it came out straight to streaming. Doom Annihilation, I think it's called. Uh, it has more uh, uh, accurate plot elements to the game. It's got some better action scenes than the first movie. But it's still a bad movie. And here's why. Doom does not need to be a movie. 
What makes Doom awesome is you get to play Doom. You get to be the Doom guy. You get to wield the double-barreled chainsaw and the giant shotgun and the BFG. You get to be the guy. That's trying true. to trying to do that in a movie is twitch the movie. Uh, or yeah, or hardcore Harry. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's it's. I don't I don't want to watch somebody else play a game for two hours and call it a movie. I think that's the inherent problem with Doom is is the experience does not translate from video game to movie. I I understand that. I just it was something that I really looked forward to. It's something that I know they tried to adapt and there are a lot there's a long line of video game adaptations that just don't turn out well. Yeah, it's a shorter um, list of ones that did turn out well. It's like well, uh, you know, Mortal Kombat and Sonic. Well, you know, there's there's another one. Uh, Wolfenstein got a decent uh, film adaptation with Captain America, the first Avenger. That is not a Wolfenstein project. There was not <laughs> one cyborg Hitler in that entire movie. Well, that was going to be, that was earmarked for the sequel. Right. Uh, but, but then we, you know, then we went with this whole Marvel thing. Mm-hmm. They but latched I, on to the Marvel tie-in. I don't know why. I thought you were going to say um, Overlord. I don't know what Overlord is. That is the closest we've gotten to a, a Wolfenstein movie. Oh yeah, I don't know that one. What Just about Iron Sky? Though. That was you know Iron Sky was Can we count those as movies? <laughs> <laughs> they have a production budget of five dollars and a ham sandwich. Well, half hey. a ham sandwich. Yeah, and that half a ham sandwich really paid off in spades, let me tell you. <laughs> um, well I I mean the goal was to some readaptations and yeah, that's just a property that I personally would like to see them actually do some do well with. Like, like you said, the first Mortal Kombat did a, a a good job at it. I never got to see Sonic, but I heard good things about Sonic, and I just I feel like Doom is the one thing that a lot of us all played when we were younger, or at least know what it is. And I agree with you, you don't want to sit there for two hours watching somebody else play Doom. But I think it could be a fun sit there, turn off your brain action movie. There's definitely enough lore and world building there to to craft a cool action movie around. Um, But it's never going to be, it's never going to feel like Doom. Just because that's, that's so integral to the experience of 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 what doom is 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 especially back when the first one came out when first person shooters were still a very new genre it was like you get to be the guy like you're you're it uh and that's i mean they're the first person shooters are a dime a dozen now uh someone could do it i agree with you uh i just think it's going to be a bit of a hurdle uh, right but yeah uh i thought you're gonna go a whole different direction when you said sci-fi in 90s so Oh yeah, because I've got one more to pitch. In in Jay, I'm glad we're not physically in the same room because when I say this, you might try to attack me. <laughs> Just hear me out, okay? Just let me finish my pitch. Okay, okay. So we talked about some adaptations, or, or you know, try to be very faithful. Some kind of take the the bones of the story and do their own thing with it. Some are in name only. Um, this one I'm going to bring up is very, very much an adaptation in name only. It has some characters with the same names. It has the same title. Uh, but by and large, it is its own thing. And that is Starship Troopers. You shut your mouth. 
Now, hold on. <laughs> hold on. I fucking love Starship Troopers. That movie is a masterpiece of cinema. Uh, it, it is the second greatest movie of all time after, of course, Blade Two. Uh, Starship Troopers, the movie, I'm not saying it's a bad movie. I love that movie. That movie is a 13-year-old's wet dream. It's got giant guns and huge insects and explosions and boobs. It's awesome. Love that movie. Paul Verhoeven, you're a genius. But if you've ever read Starship Troopers, (laughs) there are very few elements from the book that made it into the movie. And that's that's no coincidence. They literally co-opted the title. The, the, The original script for the movie that became Starship Troopers that we know was uh, something uh, that like outbreak and outpost nine or something like that. It was some generic title. They were, they wanted to make a, a um, soldiers fighting big insects movie, like back in the fifties. And um, they had this whole script written and then someone brought up, well, Hey, Starship Troopers kind of has this thing. And they, they went and checked and no one had optioned Starship Troopers for a movie. So they went ahead and optioned it, reworked their script. And again, they worked in like some of the characters and things like that, but it was never, Hey, I love this book. Let's make it a movie. Um, And that being said, not saying we should replace the original Starship Troopers, although you should forget the sequels ever existed. Um, but I would love to see someone do a proper adaptation uh, of the books. And by that, I mean, sit down with an intent of adapt this book into a movie, not co-opt the cool elements of this book and, and use the title. Uh, so things we, we missed from the, the book are there's a whole other race of aliens that humans are warring with at the beginning of the book called skinnies. We never see them at all. Uh, there's a whole section where Johnny Rico goes off to officer training. Uh, we don't get that. There's very, very minimal world building as far as the society at the time. That's what the book really is all about. Uh, if you're reading the book, cause you want to see cool action scenes, don't read the book. The book is very much a, a militaristic political thing. Um, with cool set dressing and a, a couple of cool battle scenes to bookend the movie or the, the book. Um, right. You gotta, but, you gotta, you gotta keep in mind where you know the, the era that Heinlein grew up in and came from. He, he's oh, very much entrenched in the '60s free love, yes. anti-establishment era, and everything. Yeah, and, so, and I, yeah. I, I, I'm not saying that's bad because of that. I'm just saying that they're very different animals. Very. Um, and and the book is is so well loved. It is required reading not only at most military academies, uh, but fun trivia. Uh, one of my favorite movies. Aliens, which features base military stuff, was very heavily influenced by this because Cameron is a fan of the book. He required all the actors who were playing Colonial Marines to read Starship Troopers to get in the mindset of what he wanted the Colonial Marines to be like. Um, so because of that, uh, sorry, so we missed the skinnies, that whole race. We missed all the officer training stuff. We missed all the the, the political um, um, uh, um, societal stuff that the book really spends its time with. The biggest thing we missed, and Jay, this is where I think I might win you back. As cool as the armor and the, the Merida and the big guns are in, in the movie, the book has, they're called Cap Troopers because oh, they man. are shot down onto a planet inside a capsule that then breaks apart and inside that capsule, every soldier is wearing essentially a mech suit. 
uh, a jumpsuit, yep. I think is what they call it. Uh, so they they are wearing uh, a mechanical armor that allows them to to jump. They call it on the bounce. Um, they can jump like miles each jump with like rocket boots. Uh, they're they're basically a walking tank, uh, and that is what mobile infantry is. It's not light infantry <laughs> that could <Yeah>. uh, <laughs> that literally just <laughs> our 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 tactic is just throw more people at them. It's fine. Just uh, no, they hacked everyone to death. Just throw more people at them. Uh, every soldier is a walking tank. Uh, they literally carry mini nukes on their on their armor, uh, which I did get in the movie, but not quite the same way. Um, how awesome would that be? Like they 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 thought about doing that in the movie, but at the time, this was 1996 when they were doing this. Um, CGI wasn't quite there, and they knew they wanted to spend more of the CGI to get cool bug monsters because that was the whole thing behind the movie. Uh, to do the jump cap suit thing would have had uh, been just a, a nightmare of actors on wires that had to be digitally erased later uh so they just didn't bother with it but nowadays 2020 special effects you could do that no problem and in fact um there's a great movie called edge of tomorrow that pretty much steals that idea you know i was i was literally it was i was seconds away from saying that the adaptation of Starship Troopers, the book, basically, not basically, but a lot of that can be seen in Edge of Tomorrow. Yeah, and that's one problem you're going to come across trying to adapt the book is that so many other movies and video games uh, and comics and other properties have stolen from Starship Troopers. The right. book was written in 1960. 1960- two maybe i forget the year uh, the book is very old uh it's been around for a long time and a lot of people have lifted things from it over the years um so you m- might run into that uh john carter mars issue where by the time you finally get to a do a proper adaptation of that property all the things that people you know love about that will feel old because we've already seen them in other movies um but i think it's worth a shot uh, in fact one of my favorite tv shows from the 90s uh space above and beyond very much inspired by starship troopers yeah and i love space above and beyond but really the the reason space above and beyond is so good is because it got canceled the first half of the season or first season or whatever it is it's okay Mm -hmm. it's it's mediocre but then they found out they were getting canceled and once they found out they weren't getting picked up literally they said, you know what, fuck it all, let's just go out in a blaze of glory. And they just started writing storylines where they were just killing off characters and uh, it, was, it was amazing stories, but it was, mm-hmm. it was stories told because they had nothing to lose. So, I uh, I So yeah, that was my pitch. I'd love to see a, a honest attempt at adapting a Starship Troopers. Uh, John, I'm not mad. Okay. I'm not mad, but I am disappointed. I would never <laughs> say Starship Troopers is a bad movie. That movie is perfection. But I, I am still a little disappointed that you had to go there. I mean, Doc, I know I think... we've had this discussion before, John, about whether or not it was a true adaptation. And I mean, yeah. John, we we streamed that movie together. We talked on the phone while watching it. I, Doc, I I think you should make him put his hand on that wall. You put your hand on that wall. 
What good's a knife in a nuke fight? All you gotta do is push a button. <laughs> the enemy cannot push a button if you disable his hand. Badak. Uh, Again, uh, I would never say Starship Troopers is a bad movie. Its sequels are dog shit, but Starship Troopers is a fantastic movie. And I'm not saying that I'm just there's so much stuff in the book that didn't get into the movies for various reasons. There's enough there. I think you could do a whole new adaptation. Uh, because again, that was never the intent of the filmmakers. They were never setting out to let's make this book a movie. They had other ideas and Starship Troopers happened to be a recognizable name that had certain properties that they already wanted to do. So they kind of folded those two things together. I, you know, I, I, I do agree, John, that they could redo it and I get what you're saying, but my only question is if they do make a new adaptation of Starship Troopers, can the the trailer for the new adaptation of Starship Troopers still have song two by, oh God, I can't think of who sings it. The name of it is just song two. <laughs> I know exactly what song you're talking about. Um, that one, yeah. Sure, Jay. Good, all right. But somebody has to make a joke about listening to oldies and then play that song. Because that... Because in the that's what sold me on wanting to see that movie. <laughs> that's what sold you. <laughs> it, it was the song overlaid with the rest. It, of, it like, wasn't the armor or the guns or the spaceships or the giant bug aliens or the explosions. No, it was the fact that it was all of those things with oh, on okay, okay. over it. My bad. I mean, because you know, it's like the weehoo is right when they start dropping the the boats. Uh, it, anyway. I got you. All right, Scott, you had one left in the chamber. Go ahead and pull that trigger. Yeah, I got one. So the reason I had brought up um, Crash Dive was because it's 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 read by uh, this is what made me think of it. It, It's it's read by R.C. Bray, and one of my favorite novels of all time. The audio book is, and you know what? Read by R.C. Bray is a wrong thing to say, and I apologize to R.C. Bray. Performed by R.C. Bray is better because he does perform these novels. He brings them to life and his performance of this novel coupled with the novel itself is just a fantabulous uh, mixture. And uh, the film adaptation is a misogynistic piece of Hollywood horse shit and should not be watched by anyone. And we really need to get a proper adaptation of The Martian. <laughs> Do I need to cut you off? Because I feel like there's a whole third episode about to happen. I know. Okay. I'm going to keep We're it short. We're over time. I'm just saying. I know. I know. I'm going to keep it short. Why you had to pitch that other stupid submarine thing when you could have just raged about The Martian? Come on, Scott. I was saving The Martian for last. <laughs> okay. Bring it on. So. Hang on. I got to collect myself here. This movie's so horrible. I don't. I, just, I don't even know where to start. So the start of the book, you, you've got Mark Watney, right? He's he he's stranded on Mars. The opening of the book is Mark Watney's log entry, and the first words is, "I'm pretty much fucked." That's my considered opinion. That is a great opening. It it snags you. It pulls you in. You're like, "What the hell? What's going on?" It, it, it just it just grabs you. The opening of the movie, we we get 
Mark and, and Martinez and them out on the surface of Mars drilling holes and collecting samples and they're they're chiding each other about who's more manly and they get into this stupid man contest shit. And I'm like, why the fuck am I watching this? What what the hell's going on? And it takes forever for this movie to get actually to the to, to the damn plot. And then when it does get to the plot, the entire first of all, the entire story uh is, is told pretty much, especially the Mark Waddy stuff, well, specifically the Mark Waddy stuff, is told from the perspective of Mark Waddy. He is our narrator. He is the one, we are going on this, this, this journey with him. He brings us along. And so after we finally have the accident, spoilers, and he's, he's in the thing and he, he gets himself patched up, of which he has no speaking part at all. He sits down and we get to watch him eat and chew morosely for three minutes. No dialogue, him just chewing and eating and brooding. And finally, after all of that, he looks, he looks up, he kind of nods to himself, he says, I'm not going to die here. What a fucking shit you're not going to die there. It's the entire goddamn point of the movie. We went into the theater knowing you're going to try to survive. The damn previews tell us you're going to try and survive. That's the entire point of the damn story is to see you try to survive. I don't need five minutes of you coming to this damn conclusion yourself. I know this before I even left the damn car in the parking lot. I had my popcorn knowing this information. Get the fuck on with it. And then it makes all kinds of changes from the book that make no sense. And there's no payoff. Like in, in the book, the accident happens on soul six. Yet for some odd reason in the movie, we change it to like soul 12 or some shit. I don't know the exact time I've blanked most of this out. Why? There's no point. There's no story reason for it. There's nothing that has to make sense later for it to be on Soul 13. We, we just changed it. We, we just felt like it. I'm, I'm a fucking famous director. I gotta change something. Then, you know, after he's taking stock of everything, the second rover is trashed. Why? Once again, I don't know. There's no story point to it. Uh, it just changes elements from the book where he has to use the second rover to fit all the 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 the, the supplies that he needs to make it, you know, to uh, the other uh, MAV. Uh, and then we change the one rover that is working. We change it from a cargo hauler where it has a cargo compartment that he could actually use to, oh, I don't know, survive in that journey to putting a a, a, a damn crane on it. Why is there a crane? On, on the rover on Mars. I'll tell you why. It's specifically so that he can use that crane to lift a heavy piece of equipment that he didn't even know he was going to need until the plot happens. Halfway through the movie. The book is very grounded in science. Now, I get there has to be changes. I understand that. First of all, you can't do an entire novel as a movie. You'd be there like four to six hours. So stuff has to be cut. I get that. That's fine. All the science stuff, you can't go through all the science stuff that he goes through in the book because otherwise you'd just be laying out word problems and math problems for the audience and you've got to keep the audience engaged. I understand that. But at one point, there's a joke where he, is, he, he needs to make water. Okay? How do you make water? Uh, in, in the book, he says, fortunately, I know the recipe. Take hydrogen, 
add oxygen, burn. Kind of a humorous line. Another nitpick in this movie is it takes all the damn humor out of him. He's the most humorless goddamn character ever. Um, so he's he's reducing hydrazine, which is the fuel from the from the MAV, to its base components, one of which is hydrogen, to which he uh, he captures via a makeshift hood, runs it past a pilot light, and boom, got water. Cool. Now, there's some changes to the movie about what he uses to make the hood. Okay, got no problems with that. You, you make some changes. Once again, I'm not a, not don't have a problem with changes. But then all of a sudden, it explodes for no apparent reason. There's just an explosion. I guess just because they thought it was funny. And the next scene is him talking into the into the, the, the his log entry thing there, and he says, "Okay, so I blew myself up." I forgot to take into account the excess oxygen I was putting into the system with my breathing. At which point, when I am watching this movie in a hotel room on a business trip, I had to pause the movie at this point and proceed to yell at the movie for the next 20 minutes. I am yelling to a laptop in a hotel room for 20 minutes because what human being in the history of the species has ever exhaled more oxygen than they inhale? Not a God damn one of us. None of us. We metabolize oxygen. Now, granted, when we exhale, we do not exhale full carbon dioxide. Some oxygen goes back out. Yeah, this is true. Because we have a lot of unused negative space in our respiratory system. Plus, it's not an efficient exchange. But never more oxygen than you inhale. If you did, then suffocation wouldn't work. (laughs) You could go underwater without scuba gear. You just need to wrap a bag around your head. Why? Because you're putting out more oxygen than you're inhaling. So in, in the book, he finds out that not all of the hydrogen is, is being burned and turned into water. He's got quite a bit of oxygen um, or hydrogen escaping into the atmosphere in the hab, which is a closed system. Um, and in the book, it's funny as shit because he gets done with making his, his, his hydrazine, you know, water-making pilot light burning system. And he's like, yeah, I feel real good about this. For the first time, I think I might actually get off of this planet alive. The very next entry is from the rover, and he says, I'm fucked and I'm going to die. Do you see a theme here? This is awesome shit. So he found out that he had 67% hydrogen in, in the hab, making it ostensibly a bomb. And he has to get rid of that hydrogen somehow. So what he has to do is he, he, he sabotages the oxygenator in, in the hab. And I know you can't go through all of this explanation in a movie, but you can still put it in. You have to put it in because he lowers the oxygen content in the hab and rigs up a small uh, flashlight to make a, a slight electrical spark. And in a 1% oxygen-saturated environment, just 1% of oxygen, which the other 99% is basically, well, 67% hydrogen, but the rest of it will be nitrogen, which is an inert gas. Whenever he clicks it on and makes the spark, he burns some of the hydrogen around the, 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 the torch that he rigs up, which slowly starts to burn off the hydrogen, but then there's an explosion. And what he had done was because the hab was still pressurized to one atmosphere, he didn't actually need to wear a full EV suit, he just needed to wear a pony bottle with a mask over his nose and mouth, to, so he had oxygen to breathe. But every time he exhaled, the, the, he broke the seal on the mask, 
And so oxygen from his bottle kept seeping into the system and slowly raised the oxygen content in the lab to the point where you get an explosion. So the movie takes all of this explanation for a joke and just leaves a base punchline for a cheap laugh at the expense of good storytelling. And you could easily have made that to where you, you could actually tell that in a story. Um, I, 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 I can keep going, but I know. Yeah, well, yeah. And, and then you've got all these people out there like Avengers Endgame. Avengers Endgame puts in an entire scene of all the female characters being badasses and, and doing their thing because everybody's all about female empowerment and, and they want to make sure this is you know going on. This movie has the most misogynistic, weak-willed females, female characters ever put on screen. So at one point, we get a, a NASA technician who is explaining a maneuver that is key central to the plot um, who has to explain this to the director of NASA. And so they use him as a foil to dumb down the science for the audience. And so he takes the director's pen and he uses it like a little spaceship and he goes around the room going, Psh, making rocket noises, talking to the goddamn director of NASA, who I assume knows what the hell he's talking about without him having to go, Psh, because they think the audience needs somebody. Well, in the book, there's a perfect character for that. I forget her name. Her name is Annie, I believe her name was. She's the press secretary for NASA. She's the head of public relations for NASA, which is a very important role. And in the book, she's a very powerful female character. She cusses out the guys. She stands up to people. She tells people what they think. Uh, she handles the press and the media. And all the while, her point in the story is, hey, all you NASA guys who never got laid in high school, what are you talking about? What does this mean? And they have to explain it to her because she's not sciencey. That way she can explain it to the press but she's a very strong character in the movie. It's played by uh, Kristen Wiig, I think. And literally her character does nothing other than to have a couple of scenes where she says, I'm a girl and I don't know what's going on. I'm paraphrasing a little bit here. Literally they, they make her a dumb blonde in the movie for no apparent reason. They, they take her entire point of, 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 of her, her involvement in the story is stripped out. Gone. Um, and then you have the commander of the mission, who instead of being a very empowered woman and the commander of a NASA space mission to Mars, who is a very brilliant commander in the story, she keeps everybody together. She's the one who decides to go back for Watney, which is a great turning point in the story. It would be a great climax to your story if you have this woman who takes control and overrides the, the directors of NASA and says, no, fuck you, we're going back for my crewmate. That's awesome. Literally, every time she is on screen, she is a sad, depressed woman because she left a teammate behind. No, you do not get to that level by being that damn emotional. You are a competent person. You are a commander. and You know exactly what needs to be done to get the mission done. Not go, I left him behind. I, however will I live with myself? Shut the fuck up. Get out of my damn movie. You don't need to be here. That movie is rife with misogynistic shit from beginning to end. Every female in there is just, just dumbed down, watered down shit. If the feminists aren't all over this movie, it's, I don't know why. They should be. Sorry. I think I'm done now. You're right, John. This could have been its own. I'm pissed he waited till we were already 15 minutes over time to bring up the Martian rant. <laughs> Sorry. 
Christian rant is an entire two-hour episode in and of itself. You should have just texted me at the start of the show, hey, I'm going to have the Martian rant, and I would have carved out a 45-minute block for you to have the... Because the Martian rant is fantastic, and I love it. And I'm glad it's finally recorded now, but... Sorry. <sighs> no, I'm not mad at you. It's about your timing. <laughs> now I have a two-and-a-half-hour episode to, to edit. Well, I didn't know if we were... I didn't know we were going to talk about, you know, the... Uh, mm-hmm. um, uh, Starship Troopers and stuff for so long. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> it's okay. Okay, this is going to be a two-parter now, kids. Well, <laughs> uh, Scott. Yes. Thank you. I know. I know that gets you worked up. Um, please go take some blood pressure medication. Uh, I'm shaking right now. I'm telling you, I'm, I know, I'm shaking. Know you I know you are because <laughs> I've seen you get worked up when you give this rant. And thank you for going to that place for our listeners. Have a uh, bourbon, Scott. Uh, so that was a sample from our new spinoff show, Why the Martian Movie Sucks with Scott Cox. Uh, it'll be a three-hour show once a week <laughs> outlining a new reason Scott hates the Martian. And here's the thing. They're all perfectly valid reasons. It's not like he's a nerd with a nitpick or like, well, I didn't like that. Like, no, he's, they're all legit. <laughs> Gripes with the movie. Uh, uh, I'm going to make history here, though. I'm going to say one good thing about The Martian. There is one small redeeming quality. And here's where the recording cuts out. Yep. Okay. (laughs) At the end of the movie, we do get a little bit of what happens to the characters after the story. The book does Mm -hmm. not do that. Bit of an epilogue. Yep. They give a little bit of an epilogue. The book doesn't doesn't give us that, and and uh, you know some of it I'm okay with. One of them is you know that Beck and Johansson have a kid, which would actually make sense and have a payoff if you had some you know goddamn character development from those characters through the rest of the goddamn story. Breathe, Sorry. breathe <laughs> in through your nose, out through your mouth. <laughs> you are in a calm, loving, supportive place where people only uh, exhale. CO2 and don't exhale oxygen. It's okay. It's okay. Liv Tyler does not exist. It's okay. Okay, That's a rant for a different show. All right. I'm putting this thing to bed because no one's going to top that. Uh, So please sound off. Let us know what properties do you think deserve a readaptation? There's tons. I have some more on here, but we're not going to get to them today. It's not going to happen. I think we've got a pretty solid list, but I'm sure there's some ones out there I haven't thought of. So let us know what you think. Uh, and of course, thank you, uh, the doc. Thank you, Commander Scott, for joining me this week and giving me your picks and uh, letting me know what you're up to now that cons are closed. Uh, we didn't get to that contest. We'll do it next time. Uh, that's it for this week from the surface of Mars which may or may not be habited by demons from hell, depending on which story you want to go with. This is Todd Nerdy 2, Electric Boogaloo, last survivor of the Martian rant, signing off. Millions of miles from home, we have finally found intelligent life with the courage to contact us and the will to annihilate us. Get it now! Get it now!
need retrieval now. From the director of Total Recall and Robocop. You wanna live forever? Starship Troopers. 